Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. It's really hard to believe we're almost in March, everybody. Time just seems to be flying by lately. The good thing about that, though, is that more episodes will be heading your way sooner. Now, today's guest is someone that continues to inspire and motivate me, and I'm just so happy to have her on to share her story. Elsa Collins is a humanitarian and the founder of The Idea Tour, a social impact and political consulting group that focuses on the sports, art, and entertainment sectors. She's also the founding member of I Am A Voter, a nonpartisan organization that aims to create better awareness of voting and civic engagement. Growing up on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border, Elsa has devoted herself to helping separated and reunited families at the border through her work with This Is About Humanity, which she co-founded. And she also works to grow Latina representation alongside Eva Longoria, America Ferreira, and more talented women with Poderistas, a digital community that focuses on empowering Latina women. When I first came across Elsa's story, not only was I awestruck by just how much she does, but I felt moved by her commitment to service. And we're going to talk a lot about service in today's episode and different ways you yourselves can get involved with Elsa's various organizations. So let's get into it. You know what to do. Turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. So Elsa, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to chat with you. I mean, this week is like the first week of, you know, recordings for the new season and I missed conversations so much, just being able to converse with people. So I'm excited to have you on to chat and, you know, discuss all your amazing work. Thanks so much for having me. I can't imagine a better way to start 2022 other than this conversation and and seeing how everyone's doing. Definitely. Yeah. Like I said, you, you wear a lot of hats, literally you work on so many different organizations. You've founded things, co-founded things. Um, I'm really interested in sort of diving into a lot of that. Um, I really want to bring up your work with this is about humanity, but before we get into that, how have you been? I mean, it's 2022. Um, how has everything been on your end? It's been good. Fortunately, my kids were able to go back to school today with, you know, a lot of testing and masking, but I'm very excited for them to be back with their friends. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because now that we've been in this pandemic for a minute, um, you know, we've all sort of learned like what we need to do to sort of survive and and hopefully thrive at least. Um, I think some people are starting to kind of think in that way. And I know I'm trying to think, you know, more positively about the ways that we can, you know, in 2022 continue to activate and inspire and help people. And it may not look exactly how we want it to, or how we plan it, to sometimes, and we might have to, you know, change gears and adjust. But I think that um, we've all sort of started to build up that kind of resilience to like, oh, okay, it was this, but it's going to be that and it's going to be great. And we're going to just roll with it. So I think that um, it's been good so far. And I'm, I'm not much of a, of a vision board person, to be frank, I've never made one. But um, so if anybody has never made one, that's totally fine. I've never. Um, but I was in my mind and my in my mental uh, vision board, I was thinking about, you know, what is this next year going to look like? What kinds of things do I want to focus on? So I'm excited. Yeah, I know. I'm the same way. I always like want to try and get into a vision board, but I just feel like I envision things. So (laughs) that's what my runs are for, for me to make a, a mental vision board. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I think, you know, one of the things you brought up with COVID, um, I'm always so fascinated by how just everyone, no matter what profession, um, how everybody is just like really handling the pandemic. Um, You, you know, work with so many different organizations. I'm curious, how has that sort of impacted the work that you are doing? Yeah, well, um, in a lot of different ways, a lot of my work is really on the ground 
um, interacting with people or providing services or, or just being there with individuals. So um, when the lockdown first happened, it was very, you know, kind of jarring because you're like, well, what can you do? You know, can, is there anything you can do? Um, and obviously, you know, we pivoted some of our um, activations to online. We were doing a lot of what this is about humanity. We were doing a lot of drive-through distributions in a, in a safe way. Um, but my goal was always to, to, in every organization or avenue that I'm doing was to continue to bring people in and, and figure out ways for them to feel connected to the issue or to the work and, um, you know, doing some stuff around the election in, in 2020 and really traveling. I mean, I was in Arizona, I was in Florida, I was in Georgia, um, sometimes at the height of, of some spikes, but it was, it was really that important, um, you know, for me to be there and for us to feel like our communities were being heard and their voices were being heard. And so it's been a, it's been a journey. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, you brought up, this is about humanity and I really want to dive right into it. Right. Um, It's such a great, such a great movement. And it's interesting because it really started as what was, I believe, a passion project between you and your sister. And it's now turned into this just community organization, this movement, and you're doing such incredible work for families at the border. And if you want to just sort of introduce it for those who don't know, and I guess then how you and your sister sort of got involved with it. Yeah. um, Well, so this is about humanity uh, came into existence in 2018. Uh, Not really on purpose, I guess I would say. Um, I had just returned from a trip to Texas, uh, where we were kind of speaking out against some of the tent cities that were being um, constructed there. And when I came back, I thought to myself, wow, it's so, so strange how like I went all the way to Texas. I know this is probably happening where I grew up. I grew up um, on the border, born in San Diego, raised in Tijuana. I lived there till I was 16. I was crossing the border every day. Um, I'm a dual citizen. So I feel very much of that region. And so thinking in my mind that there was so much I could probably be doing like right where I grew up. And so I called my sister and I said, I really want to help these families. I want to help these children. And then there's actually a third co-founder, Zoe Winkler Rhinus, who's from LA, who called me and said, like, what can we be doing? So originally it really started out like as a donation drive to try to help these families that had been separated, these children. Um, and there was so much of a response from the community, from our community and from the community at large that, that you really realized like people were just saying like, I really want to help. I just don't know how, I don't know where, how, what's the best way. Um, and so here we are like three years later and, you know, pre COVID we were doing a lot of interactive trips, um, to the border since COVID we've been able to come back into some in-person events. As I mentioned, we do a lot of drive-through distributions for families that were separated, but are now reunified. We've done them in LA, San Diego, San Francisco. We just had our first one in Miami, um, which was great. And then we've done some events with unaccompanied minors. And so trying to figure out ways like, okay, we like, this is still an issue in this, in our world and it hasn't gone away. Um, and trying to figure out what the best way to continue to engage people and involve people and, uh, you know, really provide opportunities to do, to do service, which is what I love the most. I mean, I think that there's, there's such a joy and, and, and I don't know who feels the best after like an event or after we do something, the people who are sort of on the receiving end or the people who are giving, I would probably say, you know, it's, it's pretty close, but yeah. So here we are at 2022 and just, you know, figuring out like, what, what are we going to be doing this year? Right. And I mean, we're still in a time, I feel like the past two years in general with everything with the pandemic, it's been a time where, you know, service is needed really now more than ever. Um, And there's just so many things, not even with our own country, but, you know, globally going on um, humanitarian crises, like all over the world, crises all over the world. Um, But I'm curious, uh, you know, I read into your background and service is a big part of your life always has been. Um, I heard you talk about your mother and her sort of relationship with service and growing up, you know, you and your siblings, everybody really getting involved with that. Um, 
obviously I feel like it goes without saying service is good. It's good for the soul. It's good for others. But why to you was that such an important part of your life and sort of shaping you on this you know, journey you're on now? You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like there are so many things you don't realize about your life until you become a parent. Like there are so many things that you, you know, you grow up thinking like, I'm never going to do this when I have kids or why did my parents do that? Or like, I'm sure when I was younger, like, why am I at, am I at this event? I'm tired. Like I'm, I want to go home or, or something like that, you know? And, and so it really, um, once I had kids became very crystal clear to me that like, oh, I understand this is the service that I was doing with my mom and my siblings is exactly what I want to be doing with my kids because I would love for them to be doing, you know, sort of carrying the torch as they get older. Um, so I think for me, it was really entering into this place where I wanted to, you know, show my kids and, and involve my kids in, in everything that I'm doing. And I feel like that's one of the real blessings of the kind of work that I do is that like, they're in the know about all the things they're engaged, they're involved, my three kids. Um, and so that actually is, is kind of the most awesome thing. So I think that, you know, when people look into like reasons, if you're looking for a reason to, to do more community service or to get more engaged or more involved in something that you really care about and you have kids, I think it's such a great way to introduce topics that you want to talk to your kids about. It's a great way to spend time with them. Um, and I also just feel like I, like I expect, and I want them to be the kids that are going to speak up if they see something wrong, or they're going to be the ones who want to like lead or, or do some type of, you know, social activism. So for me, it feels kind of just like a full circle thing. Like maybe we don't really know why something is happening when you're young. And then kind of now that I'm on this, now that I'm older um, and I'm on this other uh, side of it where I'm like, oh, okay, yes, this is exactly why, why we do these things because, because we are sort of the most influential people in our children's lives. I mean, we're going to be teaching our kids the most important lessons. And I hope that this is one of the lessons that, you know, they learn from me. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it's just, it becomes such a passion just in doing it. It becomes, I mean, like, I can't help this whole like past week, everything with Betty White, like, God rest her soul. What a gem. Um, everything with her, you know, passion for animals. And it's it's incredible, like an entire lifetime, for the most part, dedicating to a cause, a social cause. Um, and I think that's another thing, too, with the pandemic is, I mean, just having, you know, different conversations, episodes I've done in the past, having restaurant owners on, just different, hearing different people's perspectives with it. And just talking to people I know, I think what's been really incredible is I feel like it was a humbling time, if anything. Um, And I think a lot of us realized, um, speaking for myself at least, just how hard everybody, just everybody, any profession is working um, and to really appreciate that during these times. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the pandemic was, was, um, you know, it pandemic knows no borders. And, um, so we were all kind of like this one, you know, sort of human race. And, uh, and I think that that's a really important thing to remember, um, that we are all human and, um, we can all sort of have like joys, but also we can have, you know, these kind of illnesses and things that are, um, somewhat beyond our control. Um, and, and a lot of times, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were all in, in deep lockdown, you know, sort of reminding people that, um, you know, a lot of people like asylum seekers and, and people at the border and families like didn't have this kind of like luxury of, of social distancing and of like, okay, I'm going to be in this space. And if someone gets sick, I can go here. And, and so I think that, you know, even those sort of like small things to, to remind people that, um, you know, like how fortunate, you know, some of us really are, um, and so it's definitely been a, a very like introspective couple of years, I think, where we all sort of like have looked inward into like, you know, our backgrounds, our communities, our friends, our like our purpose, you know, and sort of like what is our purpose and, and how do we, you know, find joy in our purpose. And so I really think that, um, in some ways that's that like pause button that we all had to press for a minute. Um, you know, 
was was really good for 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 a lot of us to really think about you know what we're doing and how we're doing it definitely i mean and, and that's the other thing you've been able to do so much work during the pandemic despite you know lockdowns regulations everything you've you know persevered um especially with this is about humanity um and i want to sort of i guess like circling back you know you brought up um everything going on on the border. And then, you know, you said as a dual citizen, sort of growing up between both countries. Um, it's such an interesting perspective to hear because I'm also on the complete, I grew up in Northeastern Pennsylvania. So complete opposite end of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, sort of growing up, literally crossing the border. How is that from, if you wouldn't mind me asking your experience growing up crossing the border, how has that changed from what it is today? Oh my God. It eons. Like you wouldn't even believe. I mean, uh, I mean the border itself, the actual physical border is not that old. Right. I mean, it was like a fence in the forties and then, you know, sort of under Bush became more of a wall. And then every president since then has sort of added, you know, onto it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, when I was growing up, crossing the border wasn't even like, it didn't even seem like as big of a thing as it is now, right? It was like, oh, I feel like, you know, I want to go, I don't know, go to the movies in San Diego. I want to um, maybe go shopping or I don't know what it could be, but it was it was a decision that could be made and, and you could cross the border. And, you know, I mean, listen, the border weight, you can't control, but the crossing was very, very simple. Um, now it's a much more complex, you know, built out, um, like structure in and of itself. Um, and you know, the, the documentation that you need obviously to, to cross. And so, you know, it's, it's truly a privilege to, to be able now to cross the border because of all the things that you sort of need. And, and some of the things that you need cost money, you know, like a passport costs money and renewing it costs money or, you know, having like your birth certificate and all these things that you sort of are required, you know, to identify yourself, um, which are important, but are also still, you know, kind of like something that is that is not accessible to everybody. Um, and so, you know, I think there's there's so much more of a feeling of like, this is much harder than it used to be, but also like I'm so I just gratitude that I can, that I can do it, you know, when a lot of people just cannot. Um, and, you know, people who may have family on one side and, and on the other and all these other things. So I think for me, like, it's just really that um, true feeling of just gratitude, like that I can do it and I can make a choice. Um, so it's, 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 it's an interesting kind of experience to just see it like in hindsight and then look back and be like, Oh, but remember when you could just do like, it was, it didn't seem that hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with that said too, I think one of, I'm curious to know, I guess, with everything going on at the border, one of the issues now still being, you know, displaced families and with your, one of your goals with, um, this is about humanity is helping families at the border. I'm curious, what is the biggest misconception that you see between, you know, public discourse? Um, Cause for me, I guess, you know, whatever sort of side or place on the political spectrum, people tend to lie. Um, I think it's just, it gets lost in the mix that it's a humanitarian issue. Um, and I think it tends to get, you know, lost in public discourse. And I'm just curious, I guess, what is the biggest misconception you've found within all that? I mean, I think, well, there's a couple, but I guess one of the bigger ones that I find um, is people um, sort of maybe thinking that like these families or these children who come, that that's like their first choice right? Like that the, the they're like racing to come. Right. And I think that, you know, it's very rare that any family who is in, you know, who's coming here um, is coming because like nobody leaves their home when they're like happy and they have a job and they have I mean, everyone's safe and it's not dangerous. Right. It's like, there are so many extenuating circumstances that come into a decision to literally leave your whole life behind your home, your family, your friends, everything you may have for the possibility of, of, of we, I don't know what they don't know what. Right. And so it's like, I think that's really that it's like casually one day families are like, ah, 
we should go to, you know, America today. And like, it's, it's, it's a very cavalier thing. Whereas it's like, you know, very horrific, like dangerous circumstances, you know, threats on people's lives, um, you know, so many just horrible things that finally kind of push people to say, like, there's nothing. It's either, it's either certain death or like maybe something bad. I don't know. So like every human being is not going to choose like a certain death. Like you're going to be like, I have to do what I have to do to like keep myself and my family safe. And so I think that's one of the biggest ones that it's like this very like cavalier decision to come to this country. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is that like people who are seeking asylum are not doing it the right way. They're like people should be doing this the right way. But actually, I mean, seeking asylum it is a right way. It's a, it's a legal human right that's recognized. Um, and if you read the definition of asylum, you actually have to come in person and present yourself um, at a port of entry, which would mean at the border. You can't do it from afar. Um, and so I think that those are some things that I that I would love to just sort of like clear up. It's like, this is a version of the right way. You know, there is no line. Like everyone wants everyone to get in this line. There's no real line. And, and the system in and of itself as a whole is like not great. So I think that those are a lot of things that I would love for people to know that, you know, not everybody is making this decision haphazardly. It's a very costly and traumatic decision to do this journey. And by coming, they are doing it the right way. They're seeking, you know, legal asylum. Um, so, yeah. So I think that that's, and then I, I guess the last thing I'll say is that this is an issue that's just like border driven, like, well, I'm in Pennsylvania, like, you know, I'm so far away from the border. It's not really a part of my life, but like the truth of the matter is that we like detain individuals, adults, and children all over this country. Um, we also have families who fortunately have, have been able to be processed in and who are reunified, who are living all over this country and are contributing to society and are working and are helping, you know, keep this country going, like picking fruit and making sure that food is getting into restaurants and, you know, working all sorts of, you know, service jobs and, and non-service jobs. And so I think that, um, you know, those are some of the things that I, that I would love to sort of people to like remember or to know for the very first time um, when it comes to talking about this issue. Right. And I think, I mean, in this, you know, goes, you know, coincides with a lot of issues, but um, I think it's one of those things geographically too, which is why it's so wonderful that there's organizations like yours that are able to really spread the word and spread the message and discuss what's happening um, is because I think when it comes to people being, you know, geographically uh, separated from certain problems, if you will, um, I think within that, you know, comes that saying, oh, problems, you know, it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And that's really troublesome for many issues, not just, you know, the border, but just a lot of issues um, that surpass immigration. There's so many different things going on in this country. And I just think, you know, and, there, and that's the other thing, there's a lot of things going on in this country. It's hard to keep up. Um, but yeah, I've noticed that's a problem as well with a lot of things is, you know, depending on where you live and if you're not exposed to certain problems, it's going to be hard for you to care. Right. But the truth is we should be caring. We could be caring. And, um, you know, there's organizations and platforms like yours that are, are doing that to help spread that message. Yeah. I mean, there's one thing I'll say, I remember when I was, um, doing, I think I was doing a, a conversation about voting, which is one of the other things I care a lot about. Um, and the conversation about voting was like, well, what, like, you know, what is sort of this disconnect or, or sometimes people who feel like, well, does my vote really matter? Is it really that important? Or like that the world for them doesn't change in a material way no matter who's in charge, you know, so sort of like their life isn't being touched, which is in and of itself, like, so amazing. Like if you can go through, you know, lives and feel like it's all the same, like that is awesome. And like you, that's great. <laughs> um, but I, I was saying that, you know, there are for some people, 
you know, who is in charge or who gets elected is really a, a matter of life and death. It's a matter of, you know, having access to certain, you know, healthcare opportunities. It, it has to do with, you know, how we're going to treat families at the border, you know? So, so I think, you know, the privilege and being able to be like, well, does it really matter? I mean, maybe not for you, but for somebody else, it really actually does. And so like, that's where, you know, sort of, if you're like, I don't have the time, I'm not really passionate about anything. I'm not going to get engaged in anything. Like then that is sort of like, to me, like, well, the very least is, is showing up to vote. If not for yourself, then for somebody else, you know? Um, and so I think that, you know, that to me is also an act of service, you know, and, and, and public officials and elected officials are, are public servants. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that like service or service to the community can look like a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's just something important to remember too. Yeah. And and I mean, especially when it comes to voting too, I mean, voting at the local level, I I feel like that's another thing is not a lot of people. I mean, to be honest, I still have a lot of friends who don't really vote on the local level and, um, or really pay attention to it in general, um, different things going on. Um, and I, it's a shame because I think once you realize, you know, the different policies and how they affect your life, but well, my favorite is like, I'm not really political. So like, I'm not going to vote. Uh-huh. I'm like, well, first of all, if you're a woman, hundred percent, your existence is already political. So like for sure you should be voting. And if you're not a woman or don't identify as a woman, then there are so many other decisions that by the way, politically affect your life. Like what day and how often your trash gets picked up is made, you know, that decision is made by like your local city council or your local government, you know, outfit. So it's like, everything that happens in your life is, is, uh, has a political bend to it. Now your definition of political may be something different, but what I'm saying is does government affect your life every day? And the answer is hundred percent. Yes. So, you know, um, and, and voting is also a way of like, I remember my friend America Ferreira said this once and I'll never forget it. She said, you know, the election is, 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 is our public officials, you know, um, like yearly review. This is how we review their performance, mm-hmm. right? We review their performance by saying, yes, we want you again, or no, you didn't do that great of a job, you know? And so, um, that's really the only way that we can hold, you know, um, public officials accountable is by sort of saying like, Hey, I'm going to show up and vote. And like, if I like what you did, great. And if I don't, I don't think so. And also if you're, you know, what you said, like some of your friends, you don't really know, like what, you know, things like student debt and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like healthcare decisions. And, you know, if they're thinking about, you know, wanting health insurance or, or some type of thing and, and, you know, I don't know what kind of jobs they're going to get into if they offer health insurance. So like, what's the alternative. And so, so I think that there's a lot of things that, that we can sort of, you know, point to that are really important, especially in young people's lives, you know, the environment, climate, like what, you know, how do we, where do we think this planet's going to be in 15, 20 years? You know, I mean, people who are in power now are sort of making the decisions that are going to indicate where we go. Right. Well, I think also, I mean, what's been sort of eye-opening to me is that I have, recently spent the past couple months living between the US and the UK. And it took sort of going over to the UK to understand the immigration issues going on there, where yeah. you have people literally taking cargo ships and in a way, unfortunately, sacrificing their lives to get to that country to start anew. I think that's an example right there of something that never really impacted me in the past. I maybe would see a headline, but really not give it that much of my time, to be honest, because it wasn't in a country that affected me. Mm-hmm. But now it's just really opened my mind to, you know, just globally, once again, so many issues that are going on. And I think that within that, I mean, that's just one example, but it's just, you know, one way that my eyes were opened up to something new. And now it's something that 
I have to, I really have to learn more about and, and probably should learn more about. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, you know, I mean, there's a statistics that I'm not going to know for sure, but I think it's like, I don't know. I'm going to say a lot of people, but I feel like it's 40 million people are like in some sort of form of migration, like right now, like in globally. Right. And so, and by the way, if you look at just how society developed, you know, where the first humans were and how they like migration was a way that we developed as a species. It wasn't like we started in one place and never moved. Right. It's like we started in Africa and then we went up to Europe and then Asia and then over here. And so, so I think that, you know, movement is, is, is a human characteristic as old as we've been in existence. And so it's this, you know, um, sort of like how we are now and, and, and the positions or, or views that people have where, where we you know, want to have some type of restriction. We want to know where people are going. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's hard because you, then, as you said, there are so many issues and we could go down the line, like, okay, why do people migrate? Well, you know, a lot of times, like people will say to me, you know, like, I mean, immigration really isn't my thing. I'm totally a climate change person. I'm like, well, amazing, because guess what? So many climate change refugees happening because people in, you know, Central America, the land isn't arable anymore. They can't like grow their own crops, so they can't make their own money. So they can't, you know, and so we have to like look at that sort of climate change issue. Um, or, you know, sometimes people will be like, well, I'm not, not really into immigration. Like I'm totally into LGBTQ rights. I'm like, great, because like, guess what? The most affected asylum seekers anywhere around the world are LGBTQ asylum seekers. I mean, they have gone through just horrible things because of what's happening in home country and how they view that population. And so, you know, there's always to me a connection back to, you know, immigration or migration because everything we do is, is, is sort of affecting it. And so, um, so I can always find a way to like bring people into this conversation and be like, you know, we really should be focused on it because it is sort of a global issue. And and if we don't look at it from all, you know, frames and views, like we're not going to really see like that we have to sort of address it in kind of a whole, a whole way fashion, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, issues overlap. So like you said, a lot of the times something you're passionate about and maybe something you're not there, you know, can easily intertwine. Um, but I think, you know, to your point with immigration, I mean, just in the United States specifically, just over the past couple of years and, you know, specifically this year, it's obviously ongoing with displacement. I brought that up earlier. That's still a huge issue. It's still ongoing with this is about humanity. Would you mind talking a little bit more about what exactly different projects you're working on currently? Um, you know, how, I guess, obviously this new year just started, but how things are going. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, as we look at 2022, we want to continue. We usually have some sort of like cornerstone, um, sort of events that we do. And as I mentioned, we've done them in San Diego, LA, San Francisco, Miami. We usually do a holiday event, which we just had in December where we sponsor reunified families. Um, and we sort of, identify like wish lists, things that they, not just that they need, but also that they want. Um, and, and in appropriately safe ways have a sort of gathering to, you know, exchange these gifts and do the drive-throughs. Um, we also do events like back to school events. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that the pandemic really, um, showed was that like, not everybody has equal access to remote learning. And that includes like Wi-Fi, computers, like all the things that you would need, you know, to do remote learning. Um, and like, I even looked at my kids, like every one of my kids had their own computer, they were at their own desk, like they had their own space to do this. And so a lot of these um, reunified families, like there's one cell phone for the family, like they live in a building where they can't afford Wi-Fi or there is no Wi-Fi. Um, and so we really ramped up our back to school efforts to be able to, uh, you know, help these families get the access uh, that they needed. We do do a lot of sort of matching grants to grant out to organizations that are on the ground. Um, I know we have one on mental health coming up. Um, I think sort of one of the 
kind of like unspoken uh, sort of consequences of, of this whole, you know, family separation or, or unaccompanied minor children who are coming. Um, and the sort of result of that is just the trauma that, that these families have undergone um, and, and how like, we don't really know how that's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. You know, I think that there's, you know, there's kids who were told that their parents didn't want them, that they were letting them go and, and to believe that. And then, you know, um, even for one day is horrible. I can't even imagine for, for years until, you know, if, if it were, was rectified, um, at all. And so I think that, you know, it's really sort of, um, we're also an organization that kind of like responds to the need as it, as it comes up. And, and in some cases, especially during the pandemic, food insecurity was, was really big, um, I think everywhere. And so, you know, sometimes we'll just assess like, okay, what's the biggest need now and, and try to go at it from that angle, depending on like what, what time frame we're in. Um, but, you know, and, and the goal is really just to always maintain the conversation. Cause I think to your point, it's like, okay, well, are, if we're not seeing the headlines anymore, like, guess it's not happening. And, and, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is that sort of the newer form of family separation, if you want to call it that, is that, you know, we have some, um, some administrative policies in place, like title 42 right now. Um, and so essentially what, what that means is that, um, if, if a lot of times, if an entire family is, is, um, sort of stopped, they'll all get deported, but if an unaccompanied minor child comes, they may be paroled in. And so a lot of, um, families will make the decision that it's better just for the child to go alone. Um, and so that's like a, again, really hard decision, terrible, can you even imagine, mm -hmm. you know, kids as young as seven, you know, all the way through like, you know, um, 17. And so that was just a crazy, like, I can't even imagine being 15 and being like, Oh, you know? And, um, so I think that those are the kinds of things that we need to think about as well, that we we're still seeing a, a form of, of, families not being together. Um, it just looks a little bit different right now. So we obviously still always want to support our like unaccompanied minor children, um, who are here alone. And so, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's like, if, if you hear this conversation and decide, you know, that like, you're going to put it in your brain and just maybe bring it up to somebody, or maybe you'll look for more articles about it, or maybe you'll read more things about it. I mean, that's the kind of goal, right? Because not everybody, as I said earlier, not everybody has the time, so many things happening in this world, you know, it's just very easy to just sort of not even think about it, but to think about it and maybe to bring it up in conversation or to look and see, you know, cause sometimes people be like, well, I'm not near the border or there's not an event that you're doing near me. So like, guess I can't do anything. And the truth is that there's definitely things that people can do like in their own community. I mean, there's organizations that are helping, you know, families, um, family seeking asylum, children everywhere. As I said, we're, it's happening all, in every state. And so I think that just even looking around you to your own community, um, and it is important. Yeah. And I mean, like you said before, just being able to keep a conversation going, because I think another issue is that, um, you know, to your point as well, there's a lot going on in this world. There's a lot going on in this country, in the United States. Um, and it's hard sometimes when there's so much going on, so many social causes to support things to, you know, advocate for. Um, it's hard. And then also, I think, too, when there's so much public discourse, I think is this is another issue Um which once again, even, you know, goes beyond immigration. It affects so many different things. When there's so much public discourse, there's so many opinions out there um, on all different sides of the political spectrum. So let's take immigration, for example. There's a lot of opinions out there. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to have a full picture of what's going on. And then when you have things that, you know, aren't as relevant in the news cycle, it's easy to forget that those are still ongoing issues. 
So I think those two things sort of um, can go hand in hand sometimes and lead to, you know, conversation dwindling down. But I think it's really important to keep that conversation going in, you know, any way you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that like, you know, as I said, like looking around your like local community, like who's working there, who are you interacting with? Like who's in your life that like, you may not even know what their story is. Like, have you ever asked them, you know, have you ever had a conversation um, with someone that you work with or who works for you or that you, you know, interact with at the market or whatever. Um, And so I think that, you know, the art of conversation is so like, threatened. Um, cause as you said, it's like, do we even have conversations anymore? Are we all just like yelling crazy things from one side <laughs> to the other? And there's no like nuance, right? It's, it's like, sometimes when you have a conversation, it's like, well, I mean, I meant that, but like not about you. And it's like, well, but that is about me if that's, you know what I mean? And so I think that even just sort of like humanizing and putting a face to sort of what you're actually talking about, um, is so important. Cause like, and I said, I've said it a couple, a couple of times unaccompanied minor, cause that's the term, but it's like, really that we're talking about kids. So it's like, I should just be saying kids because when I say unaccompanied minors, even though that's the term, I feel like it really dehumanizes or it lets people be like, Oh, I don't know what that, that's must be some weird thing. It's like, no, no, I'm talking about kids who are like seven to 17 who come alone and it's super scary. And like, Oh my gosh, what kinds of things could they be escaping for that to even be a decision that you would think about taking? Like what, what would you, what would it take for you to send your kid alone without you? I don't know, but like, it would probably be something pretty terrible. Right. Um, so even just like the language and the words that we choose, um, to describe certain things are so important. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I guess, you know, with that said, in terms of maybe, you know, anybody who's listening, who wants to either get involved or educate themselves more, on whether it be immigration, whether it be, you know, voting registration and sort of voters' rights, all of that. Um, What are some, if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, you know, some resources, some platforms, uh, even your own, that you would recommend, uh, you know, for people to, people who are interested in, you know, whether it be getting involved or just, you know, furthering their education about certain issues? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, for sure, you can follow us at this is about humanity on Instagram. We also have a website. Um, Some of the organizations that I love and that we partner with a lot, who I think are amazing immigrant defenders law center, which is MDEF underscore law center on Instagram, who does a lot of um, they work with a lot of the reunified families that we support here in LA. Um, We work with kind kids in need of defense. We're amazing. Um, Catholic Legal Services in Miami is who we partnered with for this last event. Um, And they're really the ones who are working directly with these families. So like everything that has to do with like important decisions, Las Americas Immigrant Advocacy Group out of El Paso is also great. Um, And they'll talk about certain decisions that are being made or administrative policies that are happening and and how this is actually, you know, sort of affecting these families. Um, I mean, for voting, I'm very involved in in Poderistas, which is a, a platform on Instagram. Um, and it's a community that's really encouraging Latinas to get out and vote. Um, I am a voter, um, which is also another great sort of like, I like to call it like edible, digestible facts about voting, um, which are which is really amazing. And also you can check your, your voter registration at I am a voter and make sure you're registered and make sure you're voting. Midterms are coming up. Sounds unsexy, but it's so sexy. Um, 2022. So, you know, keep an eye out for um, elections that may be happening in your area. As as we said, like local, super important, you know, is your mayor, is your governor, senator, um, local representative, state rep, all of those um, people are so important when they make decisions about your life and about whether your vote matters. And we know that voting rights are, are really um, kind of, you know, in danger right now. So we need to make sure that like we show up and vote to show people that like we're interested and we're committed. Um, and so, yeah, those are some of the orgs that, that I'm involved or engaged with. Um, and if you, you know, want to get involved, 
you can reach out, you know, we have an email on our website that you can reach out and inquire. Um, and if you're just looking for a way to support, you know, we do sell, um, this is about humanity tote, which I thought I had near me, but I don't. Oh, you can't even see it. Okay. So we do sell. So anyone who's looking for a different way to support, we do sell a this is about humanity tote and candle, um, which we do in partnership with a nonprofit called the little market, which supports female artisans around the world. And so they make our totes and our candles and it's a great way to support women and also our families. Yeah. They're, they're so great as well. The little market I've seen their stuff. Um, so wonderful. And like you mentioned, I'm a voter in Puerto Ristas. I think it, you're doing so many incredible things. I said it at the beginning, you wear a lot of hats. Um, and I think, you know, with each of the sort of projects you work on, you sort of, uh, you know, address and go after all those things we talked about earlier, which is, you know, providing people with community to have discussions, to stay connected, um, and then also just, you know, elevating people's voices too, and then just informing, educating, which are all so important, so important. And um, I think too, you know, you brought up with voting, I think it's so easy to uh, forget like local elections, you brought up midterms. I think it's so important for just individuals to stay, you know, stay in the know about what's going on in your community, in your state, um, and of course on the national level as well. Yeah. I mean, I think for like the younger age group, if, if they're listening, like I know going away to college seems like a time where like nothing really matters and like who really cares, but check where you're registered to vote. If you want to re-register like where you're at college, because that's where you're going to be in November. Great. But if you're, you know, want to stay registered at home, make sure your parents like send you your ballot. Um, and, and yeah, it takes like a minute to, to think about it, but I also feel like you know, it should be like one of those things that we just always sort of know, like, okay, what's the plan? And here in California, you know, they just passed a law that just went into effect uh, January 1st, which every uh, registered voter is going to get a ballot in the mail, whether or not you've registered to vote by mail. So the default will now be to vote by mail, which is going to be a lot easier and for some people safer. Um, I still like to go and surrender my ballot in person and bring my kids um, just because I feel like it's, it's important for them to be a part of it. But, um, but yeah, just thinking about like, like logistically, how are we going to do it? I mean, even that, um, thinking about it now is really helpful because then it just puts in your brain, like, Oh, what is my plan? You know, mm-hmm. instead of like, Oh my God, elections tomorrow, I have no plan. And I'm not even in the state I should be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does. And it sneaks up on you. You gotta, you know, keep looking, keep staying in the know, like I said, um, cause it sneaks up on you before you know it time flies, <laughs> but also thank you so much for coming on. But before we go, I always love asking with this being handling it, has there been a piece of advice or a lesson you've learned, um, throughout just any experience, whether it being, you know, your work as a founder, co-founder, um, your experience as a mom, like just anything that's really helped you handle your life. Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, and it's probably harder for people who are moms, but for me, it's like, I need to make sure that I'm fed, you know, figuratively and in reality before, you know, I can do most anything else. And also so that I can be like my best self. So like my version of being my best self is, you know, I got to get my workout in. that's my jam. That's my version of a glass of wine it's where I think about things. It's where I do my mental vision boards. Um, and I know that that's going to just make me a better everything. Mom, activist, founder, co-founder, friend, daughter, wife. Um, so I do it and I don't feel guilty about it. And it does, um, you know, I have to find time to do it during the day. And yeah, I have three kids and a job and all these other things. But like it's, it has to have sort of like that level of importance because if I don't give it that level of importance, I just won't do it. I'll be like, oh, well, all these other things are more important. So I almost have to give it like more importance so that it actually gets done. And then I feel so much better. You know, I I don't know where I was the other day. I can't remember where I was. I was, I was doing something and it was like something for work. And it was like, okay, I can either get up really early and get this run in or like, I don't know if I'm going to get it in and what would I do and how would I feel? And then I thought, you know what? 
I could already envision the feeling of having not done it and having this day happen and being like, I can't. And so then I just, I did it. And it was like, I felt so much better. And it was like the rest of the day was incredible. And I was able to face whatever you want to throw at me, like COVID masks, like whatever I can deal with it because I already, I already did what I needed to do to make me happy. So that's my version of handling it is, you know, do the things you need to do to set yourself up for success. And then you will be so much better at everything else. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes for so many things, whether it's, you know, watching how much you put on your plate, like, cause everybody knows, especially as women, we like to overwork ourselves a lot. At least maybe that's me. Um, you know, we juggle a lot. And I think with, you know, just to your point too, when it comes to making sure, you know, other people in your life are okay and that everything else is good, you got to make sure you're good too. Um, and I think that's just the way to do it. So I love that advice. Thanks. Take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think especially with all, all the work you're doing, I'm interested to see what you continue to do and all the um, social media handles and links to your websites for all your different platforms are going to be in the show notes, uh, the episode de- description. So um, everybody can check those out. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Of course. Thank you. All right, everybody, it was such a joy for me to record that conversation with Elsa. I hope you found her story as inspiring as I did. And if you want to get involved or learn more about any of Elsa's organizations that we talked about today, social media handles and links are all in the episode notes. Thank you to Elsa so much for coming on and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I will see you in two weeks with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.